they come in and the the show's host is like whose name i always forget mr something mr something <laughs> uh Hello and welcome to Truths Universally Acknowledged, the podcast where two graduate students discuss the new NBC dating reality show, The Courtship, and the popularity of the Regency era in modern day America. I'm Molly Curran, and uh, my usual co-host, Emma Soberano, is actually camping this weekend. So today we've got a extra special guest host, Becky Hickson. Hi, Becky. Hi, thank you for having me, even though I live with you. Yeah, Becky is also my roommate. <laughs> um, and I'm in the same program as Molly and Emma, so I'm, I'm the less cool Emma. I work on early modern drama, and specifically in my dissertation, I work on contemporary adaptations of what could be called Shakespeare's problem plays, so those plays which are especially hard to perform or adapt right now because they are or could be seen as racist, sexist, anti-Semitic, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, which which plays would those be specifically? Just... Yes. So, um, Othello, Taming the Shrew, Merchant of Venice are the big ones, but honestly, a lot of his plays, you know, The Tempest, Measure for Measure. There's a lot of stuff that you know is hard to do now, as they were meant to be as like comedies or farces, because maybe we should be taking seriously some of the ways that these plays perform and so recreate racist, sexist, ableist, classist sentiments. There's so much, so Becky. much to explore. Becky, are you telling me that Shakespeare isn't perfect? Oh my god, I think I am. <laughs> wow, wow, mind blown. I know. Next you're going to be telling me Jane Austen isn't perfect. Well, I don't study Jane Austen, but there's definitely some stuff in there too. <laughs> so we thought that it would be fun to have Becky talk a little bit about the sort of question of adaptation and specifically race and adaptation while obviously the courtship is not a direct adaptation of Jane Austen or of a Regency era text it's playing on a lot of those adaptation ideas it's doing so in a way that I think it is sort of colorblind we can talk a little bit about what colorblind adaptation means and I think in a way that's like clearly directly referencing Bridgerton especially which is a adaptation of a romance novel series that is set in the Regency era though it was written in the 2000s so yeah Becky why don't you just sort of Take take us jump in jump in. Yeah. This could go lots of places. So I mean, first off, to say that I think your notion of of adaptation is honestly like right on. Adaptation can mean so many different things and and does at this point to so many different people. And so in the wider kind of umbrella of what we might see as like adaptation of citation, um, right? This this show is really like citing tropes from right Jane Austen. I mean, they are literally citing Jane Austen. <laughs> uh, I don't think they did that in this most recent episode. Weirdly enough. Did they? Um, I don't think so. Like, for the first time, they weren't, like, yeah. just like Jane Austen. And sometimes misciting Jane Austen, right? The assumption that cricket features apparently heavily in Jane Austen, <laughs> which um, we don't think is true. But uh, I think that we can definitely see this this show as in that vein of, of adaptation and, and certainly in the vein of colorblind. Um, and it's, it's hard to say, like, casting, right? This is, this is where I would go with adaptation is... 
um, the idea of colorblind casting. And the idea of, of casting this show isn't the same perhaps as casting characters from a book or a movie or as in my study very much in, in characters, play characters um, from Shakespeare. So again, like this, this can go a lot of different places, but perhaps just to start with kind of one of the big issues around adapting, and I would just say honestly, like pseudo classical medieval historical right texts. I was telling Molly the other day, I was looking for a Shakespeare adaptation and I found it in the nonfiction section of the library. <laughs> and I was like, this is definitely fiction. I mean, all of the, his texts are fiction, even his like quote unquote historical plays are fictional accounts of history. And so when we get adaptations of his plays or even of, you know, of ancient Rome in like the 300s, that's Rome, right? And like Sparta, I oh, man, I should have never know. seen that movie. I should, maybe I shouldn't bring that up. But the, the point is there is this, I mean, it's literally a white premises fantasy of some sort of like kind of white origin story or mm -hmm. lineage right that starts with Rome even though Rome itself was actually like a very diverse first of all city but also an empire right that actually encapsulated a lot of different peoples ethnicities what we might today call nationalities but that gets a little bit tricky at that time and then through into some sort of again fantasy of this Germanic foundation of like Indo-European civilization which again like we have so much saying that that's not true and so when you have something like Game of Thrones which is very much pseudo medieval right it is not actually meant to be depicting Europe mm -hmm. um but all of the main characters are white and the mm -hmm. only people of color are slaves or ex-slaves. Like, you've got a question, what are they doing? I mean, they are playing into and then therefore, like, recreating this white supremacist fantasy of this very white, kind of pure, uh -huh. uh, you know, world from which we, like, are a lot of, you know, fans derive this this delight of ancestry. Like, it's very, it's it's all very weird. It's all very mixed up. And this is also something I think that, right, there, there's this question of civilization. Civility, um, which I think is interesting to play into the Regency era of like who gets to be civil or who gets to be seen as genteel, right? And so in Game of Thrones, the civilized nations are the white nations and the only kind of people of color we get are the barbarian savages. I mean, and that could have been seen in how Rome depicted, right, the Spartans as barbarians. So like race has existed mm -hmm. forever, um, right? And in many different ways and, and different valences, you know, in terms of religion and geography and lines of nation and habits, you know, like like how we recognize race as kind of about phenotype, about skin color, wouldn't have looked exactly the same then, but it did exist. Yeah. Right, so... So is part of what you're saying that when we are adapting things like Shakespeare or Jane Austen or even Game of Thrones, right... We are not just adapting something that is sort of depicting history, but that is itself, like maybe with something like Shakespeare, we think, oh, this is a historical text, so it is historically accurate to its mm -hmm. time, or Jane Austen is historically accurate to its time. But those in themselves are also racial fantasies, that we are then reproducing that racial fantasy in our adaptation. Yes. I mean... Shakespeare himself, right, he was an English author, he didn't travel, and his texts, the reason we have them and that we unfortunately venerate them as we do today is because of nationalistic projects to create England as kind of a nation and then to send it out in its colonizing projects. I mean, he was very much a colonizing imperial force. And mm -hmm. I say he, you know, this is not the biological Shakespeare, right, but what we have made him as a cultural product um, that we shipped out and, like, <laughs> used, right? So 
it is very much this idea of we have a responsibility when we you know depict now or cast Shakespeare shows to to think about what we're doing if we want to be quote unquote historically accurate which first of all like what does that mean whose history are we so-called like depicting here whose idea of history are we depicting but also we are recreating and recrafting a history as we do so and to then always make it white is like (laughs) it's really problematic and that's where we can get into questions of of kind of colorblind casting so Shakespeare and again this is my area so I I am going to mainly talk about Shakespeare but we can definitely relate this to other things is Shakespeare was very much kind of used as an exclusionary tool right it was who who Shakespeare is he like who's he belonged to who gets to cite him and quote him who gets to use him as cultural cachet and so for a long time right he was considered and still sometimes is a white property right and what what are the problems within that and so in some sense colorblind casting actually was first brought in to fix that issue so it, in some way it, it was a it was a good thing right at first and I'm going to talk a little bit about Ayanna Thompson, my, my lord and savior of Shakespeare <laughs> studies. Um, she's a, an amazing scholar of um, Shakespeare race and performance out at the Arizona State University. She's been doing a lot of great work with that program. But she had a, a book called Colorblind Shakespeare's. It's an edited collection. But in her introduction, she was kind of talking about the kind of history of, of colorblind casting and, and how it's been defined. Because like race itself, it's an unstable definition. And so she she names three ways it's been understood, which is... The first, which was kind of how it was used perhaps to open up Shakespeare to other people, right? Other other people besides white people, which was casting by merit regardless of race. So the idea of like, oh no, we're giving this role to the best person. And if that person is black, then that's great. This assumed though that audiences were expected to be blind to race and to separate therefore an actor's appearance from the character's position. And then except for, right, two, when casting race was important for the text itself. So, for instance, Othello, right, right, when audiences were meant to recognize that there were factors that would influence an audience's ability and so that they would have to see race. And then three, casting an actor of color to signify something else about that position. So where it's assumed an audience will not or, or cannot be blind to race, and so race was kind of in a sense, exploited or mined for other mm-hmm. significance. So an example of this, I don't know if this is the best example, but I was trying to think of one that people would know about. Baz Luhrmann's 1996 film, Romeo and Juliet, the only two main actors of color we get are Mercutio and Tybalt, who of course then kill each other and die, right? Um, I mean, not that the other two white characters don't also die, but their deaths are violent in a very different way. Mm-hmm. And in terms of Mercutio, there's also this question for me about whether his blackness was also supposed to help highlight his queerness as presented in that movie. So that that I would see as kind of a sense of colorblind casting that was is not necessarily made significant in the film, but might be seen as having significance mm-hmm. for the audience. Versus, you know, like West Side Story, where of course race is like central right. to that storyline and what's happening and then would you say something like the 1994 1995 like much ado about nothing right where denzel washington yes isn't it and it's sort of like it's just it's denzel washington it's is just there denzel and you're washington. just like okay cool yes um and exactly. there doesn't seem to be any kind of thought behind it beyond denzel washington is a good actor and an attractive man yes. and he has good chemistry in this film and i would definitely say that that one would be an example of them casting based on merit or what mm-hmm. they would say would be his merit right is that I mean, he is an excellent actor. And they're like, yes, he brings 
dignity to this role of Don Pedro and like you know he he embodies what we want this mm-hmm. this character to do for us but his race does not signify mm-hmm. in that role in a sense we are not meant to read it that way and there's for like the blindness and I, I feel weird saying this over and over again there has been debate about the the ableism inherent in using the, the phrase color blindness I am going to keep using it because this is this is how it's been termed in, in terms of casting choices but I do want to recognize that but how again blind quote-unquote blind a an audience can be is is something that you can't know <laughs> you can't decide and so there is something at this point we've kind of acknowledged perhaps irresponsible about colorblind casting because it ignores what an audience is going to bring into the theater with them and therefore put onto the actors so of course you know scholars have kind of pushed whether we have done this or not is up to question right pushed away from colorblind or sometimes non-traditional casting into color conscious casting so um, a recognition that like race will always signify so an example of this might be the fact that the only white man in Hamilton is King George, right? And that is done very specifically to say something about that character in that position and, and you know, <laughs> what what kingship and the empire signify in that musical. And so Thompson has kind of argued that we, like, need to pay attention to the ways in which a production makes race semiotically relevant or irrelevant. And we don't have to get into semiotics, <laughs> right? But, not, but the idea that, like, we need to acknowledge that race and the identity of the actor, and in this case, race is one of the most race and gender are some of the times the most visible aspects mm-hmm. of, a, of a person's identity will create meaning, mm-hmm. right? Whether you want it to or not. Right. So you need to be responsible to what's happening with that. I mean, to bring this back to the courtship, I feel like this is sort of what Emma and I were getting at when we were talking about sort of these unspoken undercurrents of race in the conversations between Mr. Safa and Miss... Miss Cleary. Miss Cleary, yes. yeah. And the, the sort of question of like, could you see yourself with Nicole? What is your usual type? Yeah. And the question of what it means for him to be more attracted to the white blonde friend Mm -hmm. versus the black woman who is the lead. Yes, (laughs) exactly. And I would say that that that, I think, as you both mentioned, was kind of implicit, right? It wasn't specifically named, whereas in this episode, right, Mm -hmm. she she names that. And perhaps because of what happened with Mr. Safa, she brings this up with Mr. Cones, who is another kind of white blonde man, um, (laughs) very tall. I don't know if that has anything to do with it. But it felt like she almost like wanted to check. She was like, this is something I need to know now. And I also wonder if, you know, with both of them, neither of them had been intimate in any way with her yet. I mean, they hadn't had one-on-one dates, so they hadn't kissed her, they hadn't held her, and so I think this was a question of, like, am I desirable to you in a way that maybe she didn't feel like she had to ask Mr. Bokikio, right, or some mm-hmm. of these other white men who are on the show, you know, Mr. Hunter, who she right. had a very kind of intimate moment with, and for sure, this, like, naming of something, because the show itself, as you said, it is colorblind, it is not in the framing of the show, acknowledging or thinking about her race or the race of the suitors, she and they have to do that themselves Mm -hmm. and I think that she and and her you know her sister and her friend are the only ones who have so far brought that to the surface in a very explicit way because the the show itself is not acknowledging because it is in some sense it is this fantasy of a very kind of racially diverse genteel society that might not have been historically accurate but also is perhaps a little delightful to see so like there's Mm -hmm. things with colorblind casting that like are good and bad Right. And it's just about being responsible of like recognizing there's this balancing act between giving people of color parts, especially parts that have lines, like and not just having diversity in the background, which isn't diversity and imagining new worlds like I think Bridgerton does and like the courtship does that want to give space to this. I almost just said rainbow. (laughs) 
Um, but like to this larger, you know, group of people to give them this, this space, but also acknowledging, right, that there is actual material weight to race, including whiteness. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a good prelude for our discussion of this episode, since, since race does come up explicitly, I Mm -hmm. think for the first time. And I also think a good little preview of the episode that Emma and I will at some point do about Bridgerton, because I think there's been a lot of controversy around the diverse casting of Bridgerton Mm -hmm. on on many different grounds, I think some of which are more and less legitimate. Mm -hmm. So let's take a short break. That was super fascinating, Becky. Thank you. And when we come back, we will do a little recap of the episode. Welcome back to Truths Universally Acknowledged. (laughs) And um, we're going to jump right into our recap. So first, I just want to ask, like, Becky, what were your overall feelings on this episode? I loved the country fair. Loved those top hats. Very interested in fencing as a thing. Though I think as Emma acknowledged to you, this was not fencing. Yes, Emma texted me to say, please let the audience know that was not fencing. That was choreographed stage of fighting. Yes, I mean, it was. It was like what appears in Princess Bride, right? This was not an actual, yeah, oh my goodness. But overall, like, I thought that this was a really interesting episode. I feel like we, we got some good, you know, for me, I'm like fodder for this podcast of like some conversations that were had with Miss Remy that either she instigated or that other people kind of brought to her that she had to deal with um, that I think have said a lot about some of the the people who are all the the men who are there and Mm -hmm. what they want (laughs) slash assume they deserve, which is anyways, yes, I don't want to get ahead of stuff. So I'll just start out. The the episode opens pretty much right where we left off with the last episode, which was the surprise reveal of these two new suitors. And we meet these two men. They kind of walk in. They are Dr. Hatem and Mr. Judge. And we get little mini packages, you know, of each of the men to kind of get a little introduction to them. And Dr. Hatem, we learn, is a ER doctor in Ireland. He is an adrenaline junkie. He, in his little video package, he's just jumping around shirtless. He's so buff. He's very buff. He's got this sort of boyish face and yes. this, like, buff body. It's interesting. Mr. Judge is, we learn, from a small town in Michigan and works as a wrestling coach. And honestly, that's about all we learn about him this entire episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they come in and the the show's host is, like, whose name I always forget. Mr. Something. Mr. Something. <laughs> Uh, he, he says sort of come say hello, sort of encouraging them to meet the other suitors and to meet Miss Remy, of course. And one of the other suitors is like, oh, we're just going to show them the door. Like, we just want to get rid of them. (laughs) Miss Remy, I think to Dr. Atem, but I could, it could be to the other one, says you're breathtaking when she meets him. And she just seems sort of discomposed Mm -hmm. by what's going on. (laughs) And Mr. Judge says, I feel like I've met you before. Oh my god. And she was into that. She was like, I feel like the way you're looking at me, that you met me before. Yeah. Like, (laughs) he he comes on very intense, which, as we've discussed before, she really likes intensity. Certain kinds of intensity, I suppose. In any case, the guys are not happy. The rest of the suitors are really not happy that these guys are there. Captain Kim basically says, like, I'll give them respect, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. 
<laughs> Which I thought was honestly one of the nicer approaches. You know, Mr. Rikikio is very not pleased with their presence. Yeah, so we, we cut to sort of the next day. Everyone's lounging around in the beautiful sunshine. And the new guys are sort of mingling with the suitors and they approach Mr. Bakikio. I don't know why they picked him. I don't know. Maybe he's just by himself. Maybe. And they're basically trying to get the lowdown on sort of like what's been happening up till now and they ask him like who's winning and he just is not very responsive. Mm -hmm. He's sort of like I'm not focused on that. I'm just focused on developing my relationship with which is a great line. Which is a great line and he says to the camera uh, in his in the moment, he's like, "You got to be faster than me to get <laughs> to get to me." Which oh my god! This was his sort of way of saying, "Like, I'm not going to be outsmarted by these guys. I'm not going to give them any intel." I don't intel. think they were being sneaky though. No. So, <laughs> um, but he basically just looks pissed the whole yeah. time, um, and that will be a theme for this episode: yes. is Mr. Bukikio looking pissed? Mm-hmm. But as this is happening, they receive the daily tea and find out what the day's events are going to be, and we learn that it's going to be a country fair. So the men find this out, and then also separately, Miss Remy and her court find this out. And the mom is so excited. She's like, a country fair? And Mr. Cones is like, oh, I'm finally going to get my corn dogs. Yeah. So he's like, oh, let's hope there's some corn dogs there, because he's just been wanting those. Yes. I mean, you know, it's fair. I was excited to hear about this. We also learn that there's going to be a kissing booth, yes. which will be important later. <laughs> So when we when we see the fair, when we cut to the fair, mm-hmm. it's this really cool setup. They have a tightrope walker. They've got all these like stalls set mm-hmm. up with different kinds of games that would be more or less historically accurate, yeah. I would guess. I don't think a kissing booth would be among them, but uh, it seems a little inappropriate. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and for the first time, we see. The men are all dressed up in, like, top hats and... It might be the same outfits plus a hat. Oh, no, yeah, 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 I think so. But, but yeah, they've got great their hats. top hats on, which I think is a fun look. And the women, all except Ms. Remy, have bonnets mm-hmm. on, uh, which and is... honestly, they pulled them off. Like, they were yes. nice. I think partly they, they really maybe weren't shading their heads that yes. much. They were more like an accent piece of look at my face. Yes. And how beautiful it is. <laughs> but I thought they were... Lo- I actually liked them better than... Ms. Remy had these, like, flowers in her mm-hmm. hair. But I like... She would look good in the bonnet. Yes, she would. the bonnet. Um, when she consistently has her hair down, mm-hmm. um, right, where... And, and Miss Cleary also sometimes has her hair down, but usually, like, it would have been up, right, to be strolling around like this and, and to be in society. So, you know, I think she's, she consistently is meant to stick out. Yes. But I would love to see her in a bonnet, for sure. No, right? <laughs> we... So everyone's sort of together, and they're asked about the new suitors, <laughs> and Mrs. Remy says... <laughs> I hope they insert themselves soon because they have a lot of time to make up for. And the host goes, Mrs. Remy. Mrs. Remy. And the daughters are dying. That's my fear. And then Miss Remy goes, you're like, Mrs. Remy's embarrassed. (laughs) I hope they insert themselves soon. Oh my goodness. Mr. Chapman's face was like both shocked, but also kind of excited by that idea. I was like, get out of here, Mr. Chapman. We're also told that the men should pay special attention to the sister and the friend Mm -hmm. because they will be the ones who choose who goes on the date tomorrow. The group date. Which will be a group date. Mm -hmm. Other than that, we just sort of, again, get some scenes of the fair itself. We get some scenes of the men kind of talking. Mr. Hunter says he loves his hat. Yes. And just like vibing with that. Wants to wear it all the time. (laughs) Wants to wear it to the bars. 
they're they're playing some sort of game where they're throwing stuff at coconuts and knocking the coconuts I mean, it's, down. It's like the classic uh, milk bottle and that you see at fairs mm-hmm. now, but there are coconuts they're on coconuts. stands, yes. And actually, all the men that they showed doing it did an excellent job, so we've got some uh, baseball fans, perhaps, yeah, <laughs> in attendance. And it's also clear, like in many of the other scenes, there are a lot of people here who are not Miss Remy, her mm-hmm. court, and the suitors. Like, the, there are other people just milling about, which I just think is such an interesting choice that they've mm-hmm. made throughout the entire thing. So next, we get a game of tug-of-war, and we get, on one side, Mr. Judge, Mr. Bakikio, Mr. Hunter, Mr. Shanklin... Dr. Hatem, uh-huh. um, and then Nicole, Miss mm-hmm. Remy herself, are on one side, and then the other side is Mr. Castronovo, Mr. Chapman, Mr. Mumbre, Mr. Cones, Mr. Holland, and Captain Kim. And the reward for winning this is that whichever team wins gets to sort of have a happy hour mm-hmm. um, or a drinks with the sister and friend mm-hmm. to you know, get themselves in their good graces. Well, and and the two who were not new did come from the winning group. So they at least, I think, got to talk to her, which was the um, Mumbry and Chapman. Yes, exactly. So they had, like, it seemed to have actually did help. Because otherwise, (laughs) I was, like, unclear what it was supposed to be doing. Yeah, and we didn't see much of that, so it must not have been, like, interesting. interesting. Yeah. The next activity is the kissing booth, and this is where the drama starts happening. So... The game they play is hit the nail on the head, which mm-hmm. is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. There's yes. a stump. They partly nail, nail in a, a nail, and the men have one chance to hit the nail directly on the head in a way that pushes the nail all the way down. As I told Becky, I would fail this yes, game. I cannot. True. I cannot <laughs> nail a nail in the wall with multiple hits. I'm so bad. I mean, at I it. could not get it all in one either. But some of them. I mean, per, for instance, Mr. Shanklin had a very bad showing where he barely just even like hit the nail. Yeah. I think he went like off the nail. Yeah, there were some interesting ones where they hit the nail, but it just didn't seem to go in very mm-hmm. far. So I don't I don't really know what skill that takes precision and strength. I don't know. But yeah. So Mr. Shanklin misses. Mm-hmm. Mr. Bakikio, or as people call him a lot now, Danny B. Oh, I thought you were going to say Bakiki No, which is my favorite. I made this up myself, but it's going to catch on. Bakiki No. Bakiki No. He he does hit the nail on the head uh, in a good shot, and he is like, oh, so do I get a kiss? And he runs up to the kissing booth, and Miss Remy is like, I was hoping you would hit mm-hmm. it. So they have a kiss. Short and sweet. A, yeah, like his often actually are. Yeah, in in public, he tends to go for the short and sweet kiss, which I, I think is a good choice. Yeah. And at the very least, it makes the other guys less mad at him than they are at some oh, of God. the later ones. Mr. Cones, he hits it, but doesn't. it doesn't really go in it at all. It doesn't go in, and he immediately goes, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and Miss uh, Remy goes, oh. You know, like, she's she's laughing. Like, I think yeah. she's very much enjoying the, fo- the whole thing. Yeah, she's, like, trying to encourage them, but also laughing at them. So I think at one point, you know, with Mr. Cohen, she's like, you're a big guy. Come on, you can do this. Mm-hmm. And then uh, for Captain Kim, she's like, don't be nervous. And go it for it. almost goes in. Oh. I really thought they were going to give him that one. And he was, I think, really hoping to get it. Yeah. Um, so he was, he was disappointed. Yes. But he gallantly goes to the side yes uh mr chapman gets it and there's some tongue in that one yeah he goes for the kiss it is a long kiss Mm -hmm. though i will say i actually don't think that the guys were giving him a lot of crap for that they were kind of focused on the nail (laughs) yeah i think the only one who did was mr bakikio was not looking very happy Uh about it but otherwise yeah everyone was very still very focused on Mm -hmm. the nail situation most controversially dr hatem does not hit the nail 
he hit it beautifully. I actually thought it was going to go in, and then nothing happened. Nothing happened, yeah. yeah but I, he's like, it doesn't matter, like, the result. It's, like, how you handle it. Mm-hmm. And so he goes off to the side, does a backflip Yes, because of he something. does parkour. And yes. so this is him demonstrating his acrobatics. And then he just goes up and kisses her anyway. Well, she and she does, in a sense, invite it. Yes. Um, I mean, it's a little unclear she actually thought he was going to. But yeah. Because he basically, like, she's like, oh, my God, that was amazing. He's like, do I get a kiss for that? And she kind of, I don't know if she says yeah. But so he runs yeah. up. And like Mr. Chapman, he's really going at it. And there are mixed, you know, responses to this. Because I think the, the guys already don't like him because he's new. Mm-hmm. Right. But they don't also don't know him super well. Mr. Rikiki is really not pleased. And honestly, I was super vibing with Captain Kim, who was just like, this isn't fair. I played by the rules. And this guy just made up his own rules and he gets rewarded. What the fuck is that about? I mean, I was kind of pissed. I was like, hey, get out of there. You didn't earn that kiss. Yeah, he's like, oh, what about class? What about gentlemen? <laughs> this is bullshit. Captain Kim is not pleased with no. this turn of events. It actually ends because Dr. Hatem is still kissing her oh, when Mr. Shanklin comes up and physically pulls, like, pulls him, him away. Yeah. I think he almost grabs his crotch at one point. He's like trying to leverage yeah, him. <laughs> it was an interesting move. We next get just sort of everybody mingling and talking to each other. Mr. Castronovo approaches her and if you'll recall from previous episodes she basically said like I need to feel that passion Italian Italian passion passion. and so he goes up to her and he says you know I'm trying to make you feel that he he talks about being a pizzeria owner that's the Italian part of the Italian passion and there was no passion basically yeah and he basically says the thing that I think he's basically been saying from the beginning which is like family's really important to me Mm -hmm. and family's really important to you so I think that could like really jive yeah and he does tell her you're gonna feel the passion you're gonna feel the butterflies it's like when but it's clear she's not really Mm -hmm. like there's just not really any chemistry there and you know i had issues with mr castronova last week when he sort of so disappointed but like i think he was okay this week it was just like it's clear it just wasn't really happening yeah they just really weren't feeling each other in that way, which is interesting because her family oh my goodness. loves Loved him. And the mother cried when he left. Oh my god, yeah. Her her family loves him, which we'll get to. Meanwhile, her family does not love Mr. Bikikio, her her parents specifically. Mm-hmm. So they they sit down to talk to Mr. Bikikio and are sort of like, How do you see your your relationship developing, you know, 20 years down the line. Mm-hmm. Like, what kind of future do you see? And he doesn't really answer that because he sort of starts talking about, you know, like, I'm here to make a connection. And they get kind of hung up on that or, like, make a connection or fall in love. Yes. And, and he, I, I, like, will give him props for the fact that his point was, well, to make a connection in order to fall in love, you know. Yeah. He doesn't think – and he says that two months doesn't seem like enough time to, to fall in love with someone. I would say, especially in the, the the nature of what this programming is, but that seemed to be a big red flag, yeah. um, especially for the dad. But I think I think this is interesting because I do think this is one of those things we've seen kind of bite people on dating reality shows. If you'll remember, quite famously, I always think about it in Rachel's season, Rachel Lindsay's season of mm-hmm. The Bachelorette. She and Peter, who was one of the was like sort of down to two people, um, and everyone really thought she was going to end up with Peter mm-hmm. because they seemed to have this super intense connection and he didn't want to get engaged like that was his thing he mm-hmm. I think he wanted some time right he basically was like I love you or I think he was even ready yes, to be like I, I love you yes but he was just like I just 
don't want to get engaged yet. And Mm -hmm. she really wanted to be engaged. And so that was why they broke up. And I don't know, like, I feel bad because I do have a lot of sympathy for these, even when, even when with people like Mr. Bikikio, who I don't have a ton of sympathy for all the time, but like, with this, I'm like, I do get that it's unrealistic. I mean, it's part of the fantasy of the show, which I have trouble with, which is part of why I consistently just, I, I find those who act like that is true to be very insincere and Mm -hmm. therefore I'm like don't be with that person if they are acting like they are ready to say they love you and to get engaged which for many people might be seen as a lifelong commitment right which is how Peter was presenting he's like I want us to have some time together before we make that move which I was very sympathetic for and I am not a fan of Miss Burkikio but I definitely was like I don't think that this is a bad thing or an irresponsible thing to say. I think it is fair to say, like, I think that that can lead to love, mm-hmm. right? Which is something that Mr. Coons brings up later, too, is, like, no one has said, well, okay. We'll get to that. Yeah, but. no one at this point has said that they love her because it's still so early. But if this show is only two months long, which I don't know if that is true either, but that's the, the time frame that the time Mr. Bokikio brings up, then that is an interesting part of the framework of the show, that to me is like almost antithetical to the result that they are trying to kind of present to people. So I think that that's interesting and that's probably a conflict we'll see continue throughout this season with Mr. Bokikio, but maybe with other people as well. We cut to sort of seeing the happy hour with the winning team with Miss Cleary and Mrs. Baker. Baker, thank you. Again, we don't really see much in that. We just see Mrs. Baker kind of giving her thoughts on who she wants to give the date to. And that ends up being who goes on the date, yes. which is uh, the two new guys, mm-hmm. Mr. Mr. Chapman, Chapman and Mr. Mumbray. Yes. I love hearing from Mrs. Baker and how she really does delight in getting to make these decisions. But I, I mean, as someone who has an older sister, I mean, my sister knows or she has a good sense of like what I want out of a partner. And she's like fucking ready to shield me from people to like put people through the grinder, like to make sure that I don't get hurt in situations. And I feel like Mrs. Baker is like really bringing that attitude. And I love it every time I see it. And it's what I love so much about this show. I don't know. Every time she's just like, we got to like weed out these people. Yes. And I I'm, and also she like drops her sister some little treat. She's like, Mr. Chapman hasn't gotten a one-on-one. I was like, and we all know that like, he's hot as fuck. And like, <laughs> she's right. going to give her sister this gift of, of getting to hang out with Mr. Chapman. So next we see Mr. Shanklin. Um, so, Mr. Shanklin, let's talk about, (laughs) yes, he does sing a song and that is how it goes. It is a song he's written. He says that he's been writing every night since he met her. (laughs) And if you'll recall, I believe she, she did sort of say like, oh, I'm trying to feel more from you. And he says, okay, I'm going to turn up the romance romance style. Yeah. But he apparently just thinks the only way to do that is to sing publicly to her which is so weird I'm all like, the you're time not giving her anything about yourself yes and even the song wasn't saying that much no. like it was just like let's talk about us everybody's talking about nothing like you should choose me because i'm your guy or whatever yeah. like it was really vague yes it's just such a weird thing like it's not that he's a bad singer but you can't just go around serenading women no. all the time it's not pleasant there's no substance to it yeah. and honestly it's 
it's a little embarrassing. I mean, people were watching them, yes. and I think she felt that, you know, tension in a way that, like, obviously she's feeling, I mean, she's on camera all the time, but there was something that was very uncomfortable yes. about her posture that was like, I don't want to be here right yes. now. Well, then he says, which I think is supposed to be enticing, but comes off more of a threat, as long as you keep me around... I'll sing to you whenever I can. Oh, God. And that right there was the nail in the coffin to talk about nails. (laughs) And then very interestingly, he leans in for the kiss and she sort of puts up her hand on his chest and stops him. Uh And I think this is the first kiss that she has just entirely deflected. Yes. And she's like, oh, I think that's too fast. Can we hug? Can I give you a kiss on the cheek? take it slow is what she says. Yes. But she has not rejected a kiss from anyone else. Mm -hmm. She seems to have a pretty clear feeling of like who she is attracted to so the fact that she was just like nah mm-hmm. like to me that really spoke volumes yes. <laughs> then we get to her one-on-one conversation with mr bukikio which mm-hmm. i think was another of the m- more interesting moments yes. from the and, show and this is one that he seeks her out um, yes. which is i think the opposite of mr shanklin yeah so he seeks her out the show frames it as him trying to clarify what he said to her parents but it actually is a no. completely different conversation which is basically him saying like it's really difficult to watch her in the kissing booth to mm-hmm. watch her with these other men which is understandable i think that that yes. is an understandable way to feel and i also think it it is there's something flattering, perhaps, about hearing, like, I'm jealous watching you with these other guys because that means that I have these feelings about you, which is not to get ahead of ourselves, but is how, you know, Captain Kim frames it later. Yes. So, the, the, but there is, it is night and day the way that they frame and kind of put this on her. Yes. Or, in, in Captain Kim's case, like, don't put this on her, right? And so, Mr. Bukikio, I mean, as someone else later says, he is very aggressive. And yes. this felt like an aggressive conversation. Yes. And he, I mean, he basically says, are you serious about me? You can't be serious with 11 guys. <laughs> I know what I have to offer. And if, you know, if, if I'm not the fit, then I'm not it. Mm-hmm. But there are so many better ways to say that yeah. because like, again, great. I mean, these are very human feelings. And again, there is, I think, as you mentioned, we were talking about this before, there's something about him wanting to know, like, are you actually interested in me? Like, don't keep me around if you're not. But there is something, this is also my issue with, like, she really likes guys with confidence. But to me, there's a big difference between the guys who have confidence on the show and the guys who are arrogant. Yes. And I find, I don't know him well yet, but um, Dr. Hatem felt a little bit arrogant. Some of the other guys were picking up on that and did not like it, Mm -hmm. for instance, in the group date. And actually, Mr. Chapman also names him as arrogant. Mm -hmm. And I think Mr. Bukikio is another example of someone who is pretty arrogant. I mean, Mr. Shanklin kind of, the people who say, I know what I have to offer almost inevitably end it with and if you can't see that then it's your loss basically which mr shanklin says which the first guy doctor whatever the hell his name was on the first show that we all hated also said right you're making a big mistake by letting me go and that was the attitude that mr bokikio was bringing that's like i'm sorry her job on this show is to be with these 11 guys and she can choose as she did with mr shanklin to not be as intimate with some of them but like that's why she's here dude yeah. like that's why you're here and so it's it's something to acknowledge those feelings and tell them to her so she knows that you're here for her and you're in for it and another to kind of aggressively stake this idea that she has to make a decision yeah well, this early on make her feel bad she about cried. the fact yeah this is the thing he made her feel bad and made her feel like he was threatening almost to leave yeah. if she didn't sort of say, like, no, you're my favorite, and, yes. like, I don't really care about those other guys. And it's also not fair, like, she, one, she isn't picking all the individual dates. So, like, if he wants to see her again, 
like that, which I think he does, he needs to make more of an effort to, like, make those connections with other people, yes. which he apparently failed at with the parents. Yes. Right? But, like, this isn't all up to her, right? This isn't, this is so unfair, basically. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we, we see her sort of looking very upset during this conversation and then later cut to her in the moment interview where she's tearing up mm-hmm. and she basically is saying she likes him so much, but she's afraid that he's losing faith and that this has just become really hard. And she kind of says, I don't know if I can keep doing this. And I think she kind of meant the interview because yeah. she's sort of like crying and she, and she, she sort like, of leaves, like walks yeah. away. But there's definitely this sense of this is the first time I think she's been made to feel really bad about just what is the nature of the show. You know, like she's cried about elimination. She's cried about, you know, having to let certain guys go. But I think this was the first time like she like really was made to feel bad about herself. And that pissed me off so much. I'm like, you signed up for this, Mr. Bakikio. Like you signed up for a reality competition dating Mm -hmm. show, which means there are other guys there. And, and like when it gets down to like the last, and yes. mean. <laughs> when it gets down to the last three or two or one, and even then, like you're allowed to be upset, but you do not get to place those feelings on her when mm-hmm. she's doing what she signed up to do. Mm-hmm. And like if you don't like it, then you can leave, yes. you know. And but like don't threaten her with that because if you're not willing to stick it out, then also like you shouldn't be here. Yeah. Sorry. I know, like, don't threaten her, like, oh, I might leave if this, which he didn't say explicitly, no, but, but it was, was, it was implied, you know, yeah. and, but we knew he's not gonna leave. Yeah, he yeah. just wants attention, he, he and just, I get, like, he wants attention, but, like, there's so many guys, like, she can't give him everything that right, he wants right, right now. That was, that was really a frustrating moment, and then she, and, and again, the show very explicitly frames it this way, she basically is like, I feel bad, I'm gonna go find Mr. Combs. Yes! Oh, delightful <sighs> which i just i love mm-hmm. and and she said she's like i know he's going to cheer me up like mm-hmm. he's gonna make me feel better which is a you know really good sign i think we've talked about the way that she just holds herself really different around him in a way that shows comfort that i think that we see around her with her family yeah. right like it, it's like she is still being watched by cameras but her body language is so much more open she kind of shrinks and not in like a bad way but she like makes herself smaller around some of these guys i think we use the word coy and not Mm -hmm. in like a like flirtatiously like sometimes coy is used as a negative for women but like she is kind of like oh my god like you're so handsome and with her cone she just like opens up yeah you know yes that's i mean that's exactly it she she's always so poised around the other guys you can tell she's extremely deliberate with the way Mm -hmm. she's speaking she's very gracious all the time in terms of you know even when the guys she's clearly not feeling it she's like oh I I see that you are putting in the effort and and like it makes me like her a lot like I like her a lot she seems like a really great nice person Mm -hmm. but I love that with Mr. Cones she's like silly yeah and she is not perfectly studied and she does kind of just the faces she was making (laughs) of like shock and delight when he's taking his shoes off so they sit down (laughs) together and he immediately starts taking off his boots he makes her he makes her hold his glass of wine yes he's like hold this hold this (laughs) and he's like my my little sausages need to be freed and he's taking off his boots and she's just holding back a laugh like she's clearly just entertained and like she's like i'm glad you're so comfortable yeah and like 
in a way that's almost sort of a joke, but also it was true. Like, it's just clear they are comfortable together. Yeah. And then I think what's really nice is they finally got the moment where they got to, like, talk a little bit more seriously. Deeply, yes. Which he's he's tried to, yes. you know, start, which I also think is a good sign. Some of the guys who come up to her, like Mr. Castronovo, who just wants to talk about what they might have in common, and he's not saying, like, you know, what about you? What about me? Like, let's actually get into this, which yes. he specifically invites her to do, and she does. Yes. So, so yeah, he says, I want to dive deep. Like, you know, let's do this. And she says, okay, let's do it. Have you ever dated a black woman before? Mm-hmm. And we talked earlier about how this feels like in many ways a response to what happened in the previous episode with Mr. Safa, which I, which I think is exactly right. Like, I do think that is in part what it is. I also think, like, it's, it is notable that this is the first time on the show that they've really explicitly talked about race. Mm-hmm. Again, I think it's been there in other conversations, right? Like, when she talks to, maybe this was Mr. King, when they sort of talked about their, like, similar backgrounds, right? Yes. Like Caribbean. Um, yeah, Caribbean backgrounds. You know, so it's not like race is, like, invisible. Yes. But I think this is the first time she talked about being a black woman on this mm-hmm. type of show, and particularly the reality of interracial dating. Yes. Which, again, I remember from Rachel Lindsay's season of of the bachelorette she was the first black bachelorette did come up as well she kind of had to ask guys like have you ever dated a black woman before and in that case it was also interesting because like most of her suitors were or the contestants on that show were white um so it was like even more fraught but so she says have you ever dated a black woman and he said of course (laughs) (laughs) of course i have what an odd response i mean i i i we we talked a little bit about this you know conversation already as yeah. as we were watching the show. It is very unstudied, but it feels very genuine. So I do think you know his reactions to her, even though then he did try to like acknowledge like, oh like I actually do know that like race and racism yeah. are a thing that have like material consequences. Not how he put it, but kind of what I was getting from him. You know he's like giving a shocked and like disgusted face when she's like talking about people not wanting to be with her, right? Mm-hmm. And it just seemed like... So he, he's kind of balancing between these, like, idealized, like, oh, how could anyone do that? And, like, an actual acknowledgement of, like, reality yes. um, in a, in a very unstudied... Yeah, like, he's not eloquent. Way, no. He's not... I mean, he sounds like a white guy who yeah. has learned about racism. And hasn't maybe had to have these conversations yes. a lot in the past. And certainly not on, you know... TV, which I I do think he is clearly, like, he's stumbling a little bit, and he's trying to just get it out, but I think if he'd had perhaps a little bit more time, like, he clearly did not know she was going to ask him this question, which is, you know, in a sense, good, right? This is his honest response, Um, but I do think he maybe could have done a little bit of a better job if he'd had a little bit more time, and perhaps, you know, as many white people have not, had an actual chance to practice having a conversation like this, Mm -hmm. especially with somebody, like, who is a person of color, who is, like, saying, like, look at me, right, and yes. my identity and, like, recognize that we need to have this conversation before this can go kind of further. So, yeah, so he definitely says a few things of just, like, oh, why is this even a thing? Like, <laughs> racism. You know, and he talks about he talks about himself a little bit and is basically, like, you know, I have suffered, you know, I've had difficult times in the past, but I have realized, like, I realize, like, none of that has to do with the color of my skin. Yeah. And he kind of talks about having... He doesn't say anything very explicitly clear, but it sounds like he came from, like, a more conservative background. Um, I feel like I remember reading in his bio that he's maybe from a, like, more conservative Christian background. And so he talks about sort of having to, like, let go of things and having to turn away from things that he was raised with to become a, like, better version of himself and Mm -hmm. that he's been working on becoming a better person 
person and like a better version of who he is and that he hopes that if there's anything that makes him worthy of sort of being on the show being with her it's it's that she sees that yeah um which i thought i mean again i don't want to like give too much credit to like white guy learns decency (laughs) but but i thought you know for somebody who clearly like hasn't had these conversations doesn't have a lot of comfort with these ideas but it's still, I, I do think, like, putting in the effort and, like, willing to recognize that, like, there's work to be done. He's had to actually do work. Mm-hmm. And as much as he just sort of wants to literally just flip off racism. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they do that. They do. they do just sort of flip, they're, like, flipping off the air, like, yeah. uh, to all the people who just, like, won't wake up. Yes, um, waking up. <laughs> but... But yeah, I just, I don't know. I think he he acquitted himself relatively well in mm-hmm. what I think could have been a real disaster. Yes, of a conversation. Yes. Um, um, and like, you know, again, she came in laughing and we left them laughing. I yes. do think that while this conversation maybe could have gone better, that she seemed to be pleased with the outcome. Mm-hmm. And again, I, you know, there are people that she just has not, like, they did not kiss Right. But he, oh God, he was so excited after like his, his in the moment after that we cut to after that, like he just looked like he was ready to pump his fist in the air. He was like, oh my God, like she's so incredible, which I just love. I love the people who are just delighting in her. Yes. And he, he was like, I think it was great. You know, you actually, do you have what he actually says? I don't. I know he said something about basically like, I love that she can be so vulnerable with me and that I can be. And he literally says, like, that could lead to love. And so, like, he is one of these people who is acknowledging, like, I'm not there yet. Like, we're not there yet. But, like, we are building what we need to Mm -hmm. get there. And I'm glad that he is ready to have these conversations. And also that he's not, like, you know, trauma dropping, which is not what I would say that, like, Mr. 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 King did. But, like, Captain Kim kind of almost desperately has to drop this in the final scene to make sure that they have time together. And this is a chance for them to talk very, almost as naturally as they can, in a sense, right? She got to pick the topic, and he met her there in a conversation that I think was very productive for them, even if they then didn't end with a kiss. I want her to keep him around long enough that they get to have that connection that, like, other people have kind of already jumped to. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think... The question is always, like, how attracted to him is Is she? she? Yes. But it seems clear that at the very least, they are forming, like, a real friendship that I think, you know, to me seems like an ideal basis for. Yeah, and which, I mean, the parents also seem, like, really interested in. They just haven't, as far as I know, they haven't really talked of Mr. Yes, yes. So, Um, that might be the next step. Yeah, so we, we cut away from them laughing together mm-hmm. and it's adorable and she I think she spills her wine or something. He says I can't take you anywhere. And next we have the fencing date. So as I said, um it's Mr. Chapman, Dr. Hatem, Mr. Judge, and Mr. Mumbre on the fencing date. Mm-hmm. We get a demonstration, which is very cool to watch. Yes. But it's not like fencing. No. It's a woman and a man and she basically is like they're fighting and they he does like a flip off a wall and eventually she like throws him to the ground and has her like and we really don't see i wanted to see more of them we didn't really see them do stuff we we saw them in their like starting positions we didn't get any of the kind of forward backwards movement one of them says i mr chapman says i want to fight dr hatem like he seems like really arrogant basically and we don't i'm like are they fighting each other because i want to see that know. you know they, they made it sound like they were going to be dueling which is another thing i must want yes. to just mention that they were going to be dueling for Re- miss remy's hand but then there was nothing done um, yes 
ready to duel for your lady's honor. Oh, and yes, as, as Emma also wanted me to say, <laughs> at this point in time, nobody was dueling with, with swords. swords. Yes. Um, you, you dueled with guns. As they um, do in Bridgerton first season. Exactly, as they do in Bridgerton. And also dueling was illegal at this point, I'm... Mm-hmm. Yes, but it was still definitely It was definitely done, done, yes. Part of the reason it was done, and I think it could be done in a way that maybe it couldn't today, is, you know, guns didn't always fire at all, or, you know, they didn't always fire straight and true, so it was a lot harder to kill off everybody. Yes, and I mean, I think there was a whole practice around, I think, what's called, like, delopement, which was, like, when you intentionally sort of raised your gun or, like, shot away from the person. Which you see in Hamilton. Yeah, which you see in Hamilton. Um, I mean, part of it was the form. It was just, like, the action of challenging someone and accepting and getting to the spot in the moment yeah it was just about it was a performance yeah it was a performance which this was too in many ways Yeah, Mr. Chapman also says, I'm ready to sword fight with some dudes. Whatever that means. His face is doing a lot of... I don't know. What do you think that means, sir? He's the most bro... Like, because he just wants to hang out with all these bros and sometimes get some kisses. Like, I just, he's so excited about being around some of these dudes. Oh, yeah, God. he really, he really is. So we're sort of cutting between the date and what's happening back at the men's cottage. The pool house. Yeah, room. they're like, <laughs> they called it something, but I keep calling it like the gentleman's lounge yeah. or whatever. And so we cut there and we see what are described as former favorites. <laughs> Uh, Mr. Hunter and Mr. Bikikio. <laughs> who had the first two individual dates. And they're talking, and it's it's kind of an interesting conversation because I feel like, again, they're not saying exactly what they mean. Mm-hmm. Which is, they're disgruntled. Yeah. They're jealous. They're, they're both basically struggling with uh, seeing her with other guys, with there being new guys. Mr. Bikikio basically is saying, you know, like, we, we had this connection. Or maybe it's Mr. Hunter. I don't remember. They both talk about sort of feeling like they had this connection yes. with her. And that it's, like, hard to then see her connecting with other people. And it's kind of funny because, like, they've also both connected with her. So, like, there's kind of a... a Mm-hmm. unspoken rivalry yes. happening there but Mr. Bukikio says that he does not think he will be on the dance card because he had a conversation with her and he thinks it went really well <laughs> so that shows how much he was paying attention yes. um cutting back to the date we see her having a conversation with Dr. Hatem and we just learn he's like really God, he's a as she said he's a jack of all trades yes. he does a lot of things he's in the ER which is actually like very trying in terms of like someone's time he plays rugby all the time he's getting a pilot license you, you know he does parkour yes. like he's oh my goodness yes um and he just talks about yeah like i have lots of hobbies i just stay busy i'm mm-hmm. like okay man uh but she's very impressed by this mm-hmm. she again she really likes confidence she likes his ambition i don't know like again i'm not sure how i'm feeling about him at this point like i think it, we don't quite have enough to know mm-hmm. i agree that he comes across as arrogant well, he's been very good with her yes and i appreciate his attention to her but i also think it says a lot about a guy how he reacts to the other guys to their faces but then also in the one-on-ones like mr bokiki has been really dismissive of other other men and i don't like that i'm like sorry dude you don't have this in the bag calm down yeah and he similarly actually like in the moment is like poking mr mumbry with his his foil which mr mumbry does not enjoy and the fact that the other men are kind of picking up on his attitude towards them i think is like really significant mm-hmm. and says a lot about who these people are. And I think like I do think they're at a disadvantage in that they are coming in late. Yes. So I get like getting in, being aggressive, being like mm-hmm. here's who I am, here's what's going on, like I don't care about these other guys. Yeah. But I agree it does it does come across 
I don't know. It doesn't make him as likable as, like, I think he really could be because he's, like, a handsome doctor who's, oh, yes. like, super he's... fit and does parkour. Like, <laughs> and, and again, like, how he behaves towards her is still, like, a good thing for him. So I'm just, yes. we'll see, we'll yeah. see for next week, basically. And it's possible, you know, like, maybe in a week, like, once they settle they, in. Yeah, they yeah. settled in. They've actually, like, hung out with the other guys a bit more, like, maybe formed some friendships. There might be less. Uh, a little bit less of that kind That's of. true. There's a lot of posturing right now. Yeah. All these men with their puffed uh-huh. out chests glaring at each other. We also see her talk to Mr. Chapman, <laughs> where he talks about how he models part-time and he lives in his van, which we knew, it's but apparently she van. didn't know. Yes. It's, <laughs> it's a white van, but he It's a white soccer mom van. It's a soccer van. mom van. Yes. And she she says, oh yeah, I, th- I think it's kind of hot. And I'm like, no, honey, you just think he's hot. It's true. He is very hot. To me, I think I said this to you, he's very like one night stand material, which I feel very bad about saying, but he just like, we haven't learned anything about him. There's no, no subs. I mean, he's not the same as like Mr. Safa and how he mm-hmm. talks and presents himself, but there's something similar in them in that it's been very surface level. Mm-hmm. And this is not to say models are always surface level because unfortunately that's what we're getting with these two people but like mr chapman has not said much about himself he says that this is it's very gig to gig he's done a lot of traveling he hasn't stayed in one place for a long time but then he doesn't open up about what that means for like right. this, this was a How moment for him to How's... be vulnerable and to have that connection with her and instead it's just like his eyes are amazing which she had said early on like she really feels something with him because he stares so intensely mm-hmm. and he's incredibly hot and that's it. Like, I just do not think, like, I think she will keep him around for a bit. But ultimately, unless he actually opens up about things, like, he's not going to last. Yeah, I think I think that's right. So. They almost kiss. They almost <laughs> kiss, but they are interrupted by Jesse. Mr. Judge. Yes. Um, Jesse Judge. What a great, I didn't think I realized that that was his name. And then we get her talking to Mr. Judge. And we don't, again, learn all that no, much about much. him. He, again, is from a super small town in Michigan. He implies there is something about his past that, and, like, his childhood that was difficult he wants to tell her about. It's like a little teaser, teaser yeah. to, like, she said, keep me on so you can hear about my trauma, you know? <laughs> um, he says that his – I really hated this, what? but – he said that his goal is to, quote, become the best father I can oh, be, the best husband yes. I can be. I looked at your face in that I moment and it was. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why I hated this so much. I, well, because it, again, I mean, as, as a lot of these things feel because there's like no time, it felt very performative. It was like, this is me telling you what I think you want to hear. And it's like, you haven't shown us anything about yourself. And like, what does that even mean? Yes. You know? And I think it's just, it's vague in a way that like implies, oh, I'm, I'm a family person. You know, I want to have kids, which are all like good things to tell to someone who has a, a really close connection to her family and might want to have kids. You know, I, I think she's, she's talked she about children. Kids, yeah. But it just felt, <laughs> in like their first conversation, weirdly not genuine, right? Because it just felt like I need to load this in here so you know who I am, which is un- unfortunately, again, as you said, partly the reason that like they're coming in late, they have to put all that in, they have yeah. to show themselves. Um, but it was weird. Then they almost kiss and they are interrupted by... Mr. Mumbre. Who is laughing as he said it. Like, it is very clear that, like, this, no one got a kiss. Like, they were all timed to interrupt each other. And he comes in, he's like, guys. <laughs> like, it was so funny. Oh, my goodness. And so when she talks to Mr. Mumbre, he basically talks about, wow, this is so crazy. 
um, have these feelings. Ha- yeah, basically, so. you're like, this doesn't happen. And she's like, what do, you, what do you mean? And he's like, well, I've never been in a long-term relationship. Mm-hmm. I've never been in love. Which, again, we also knew. I mean, he told her parents that, I think, yeah. even. And I'm like, man, they did not do their job. They did not yeah. tell her this, apparently. I mean, again, I think I think Emma and I have talked quite a bit about the ways that can and mm-hmm. can be a red flag, but doesn't have to be. I mean, as he somebody who wary. hasn't dated yes. a lot, I don't think that's, like... And therefore, no. you are a fundamentally unlovable person. Well, and as we talked, like, I don't know if he, he didn't seem to mention this, but it also has to do with his background. He's from a very yes. small town, right? He hasn't maybe traveled a lot. He has a lot of, a lot of opportunities to make connections with people that might last long term, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that came up. She seems surprised and a little bit wary, but notably, he was not on the dance card. So I don't yeah. think it was a red flag. I think that that would have come up as something... Yes then and he says something about basically like oh you know i i didn't love myself for a long time and yes. so that's like why i couldn't love others <laughs> which, which is such a line <laughs> yeah it's very much a line but you know okay she describes him as a novice at love which i thought was oh that's great. very cute and really the issue she had she was like yeah a little aware of that but mostly she just isn't sure if she's sort of feeling the spark with yes. him and i think that that is going to be one of the big things moving forward of who has she gotten to make these more intimate connections with on two levels, right? There's a physical. So, like, Mr. Chapman's got the physical, and then there's the connection of, like, emotional conversation, which he has not done. And Mr. Mumbry, like, where where does he fall in mm-hmm. these things, right? She, I think we're going to start mapping who's done both these things, yes. who's done one, who needs to do the other. So, meanwhile, back at the gentleman's quarters, <laughs> we see Captain Kim and Mr. Cones having a mm-hmm. conversation. Love Mr. Cones' line of, you haven't been yourself lately. I'm like, oh my god, one, feels a little bit like a therapy session. But two, like, again, is this, like, great sign of, like, these guys have gotten to know each other. They really like each other. They get sad when some of them leave, you know? And so I thought that this was just a lovely moment of, like, yeah, man, you just, like, haven't been yourself. What's going on? (laughs) So Mr. Kim, or Captain Kim, basically says, oh, my confidence was shattered at the fair. Seeing her kiss the other guys, seeing her connect with other guys Mm -hmm. was really hard. We get sort of the full story of his difficult breakup, which... I mean, isn't good, but it was basically what we understood it yes. to be. Nothing which, new, I think, was really shared with right. us. Right. Kind of the most important thing he realizes is he's he realizes, like, I'm willing to get hurt for love, but I have to feel that it's worth it. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Cohn says, that's so honorable that you allow yourself <laughs> to feel that much. Oh, my goodness. I'm just like, oh, man. Mr. Cohn's again, like, I think he is very sincere, but, like, how he articulates things is so interesting. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and he also asks Captain Kim, do you want to be here? Mm-hmm. Which we don't see the answer no. to. We get a very long silence, which might have been edited in from a different question. No. Like, we don't know. And then we get his answer when he talks to Miss Remy at the ball. And I thought it was kind of interesting. In the background, you can see some of the guys kind of, like, watching and, like, laughing a little yeah, bit at this conversation. Bullshit. It was it was Mr. Castronovo and Mr. Shacklin were laughing at this. And then later, they're having a conversation. Mr. Procuccio is laughing at them. And I was like, man, there's a lot of just, like, laughing at other people's feelings here. Yeah. <laughs> Which is... Uh, yeah, so then we do later see Mr. Shanklin and Mr. Castronovo having a conversation and basically being like, oh, you know, we're trying to get out of the friend zone, which... Eh. <laughs> But, uh, They've both been in before. Yeah. And Mr. Shanklin's like, oh, you know, I think I think I did it. Like, it really depends oh, on, like, God. how much you like my song. But, like, I really not to like Mr. Berkikio is, like, peeing himself in the background. Yeah, okay. He Mr. was not laughing that hard. But no. he was, his face was. He was clearly laughing in the background. And just like, oh, my God. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, for once, I was like, yeah, Mr. Berkikio, yep. you are correct yes. in your assessment <laughs> here. I also enjoyed the the 
they said, oh, you know, we're going to we're going to get out of the friend zone. And the announcer, announcer, the the voiceover was like, yes, and straight into the acquaintance zone. I will say, and I don't have as much experience with like The Bachelor, The Bachelorette. I laugh a lot at the host voiceovers. Like, I actually find them very entertaining. He hasn't done anything that I felt as weird, except that, like, he's one of the people, of course, like, saying stuff is Jane Austen, but that's just written, obviously, in. So I've, I've enjoyed that framework so far. I think it's it's comedic. It's entertaining. I agree. I think it, I think it's actually pretty funny. And, um, and it invites us to laugh at the dudes. <laughs> yes. And I think, like, I also think it invites us to laugh at the silliness of the premise, right? Like, mm-hmm. this is another reason why when people are like, but this isn't, like... Historically, historically accurate, accurate as if that's like a bad thing what is it that's like, like their goal they're in like, no way trying to be and you can tell that from i mean there's jokes about like oh yeah your country fair when you like wind down from like a hard day at the harvest or, or like, invading france yeah. or whatever there was a lot of war with france um and yeah i think that that is exactly it's like we have this but we're not actually like, we're leaning into it comedically because yes. we're not actually t- trying to do that oh we see a, a short scene of Miss Remy going to see uh, her sister and her friend. In her um, great in her great fencing, fencing outfit. outfit. Yeah, and and like, like, what is that? <laughs> she comes in and she's like, ah Because <laughs> um, it's like this, I don't even know how to describe it, but this it's, like tunic I mean, it's of... padded. It's padded so that he can get stabbed. And yeah, it is, I mean, it's basically like a tunic. And as I said to Molly, I mean, it, it's what you would see almost looks like what would be stuffed with sawdust and hay to get stabbed and like practicing. So it, to see it on someone, it's just very... Yeah. It's not flattering, but honestly, she pulled it off. She did. She did. <laughs> so she basically talks to them a little bit, but I don't even recall her saying much about the date. I don't think so. Uh, I think mostly they just laugh at what she's wearing. Yes. (laughs) They will say, unlike last week, there were no kind of hints of who was going to be in. You know, because she said to her friends, right, she's like, here's who I need to see more from last week. And we did not get any. So like that, that, that would have been the moment. And either they cut it or they weren't talking about it. We get to the farewell dance. She comes in and she was in what I think is my favorite outfit of her like farewell dance outfits. She's worn which had, like, an empire waist in its sort of, like, vague nod to mm-hmm. Regency, but otherwise, of course. I mean, it almost if it was going to be Regency, it almost felt more like what they put on as, like, a, a night gown like mm-hmm. uh, robe situation where it attaches but it like it's like open to show you know what's underneath but it's very sheer right yeah there it was, was like... this this sheer sort of over layer almost like a cape robe type yeah. thing and it was covered in floral embroidery mm-hmm. and, and like also little sleeves little pearls i just thought it was very pretty it was kind of this like muted gray color mm-hmm. almost i don't know it was it was lovely so she comes in we're told there will be four dancers this mm-hmm. time Not five Rather than five, and we are not told how many eliminations there will be. And I wonder if part of that is because they were going to let her pick in the moment. Because it's it's hard to tell, but like it felt like we were supposed to think that Captain Kim basically saved himself in his conversation yes. with her. And so like I actually wonder if, if they said you have to send one to two people home. Like if there was an option for her to mm-hmm. decide. That's a, that's a good point. And I think that would make more sense for the, the structure of the dance then. If, if those yes. in- and like moving forward, maybe as we lose more people... It might vary by week. Or if she goes two weeks where she only loses one person, yeah. I'll be like, you really got rid of two of this, like, you know, stuff like that. But, like, I wonder if it will be a little bit more open like that moving mm-hmm. forward. So our our four dancers are Mr. Castronovo, which the family oh, is they were so very devastated. upset about. They're like, oh, no, I love him. <laughs> I know. And we're just like, why? why? Yeah. Mr. Shanklin. Hilarious. Captain Kim. Oh, I was so sad for him. And Mr. Bakikio. 
Which is hilarious because Mr. Bakikio was very sure that he wasn't going to be in. And I felt bad for Captain Kim because I think he was already nervous about how he was feeling and then to have to kind of have this moment of like, oh shit, like, <laughs> I can't. Yeah. And I think, but, I mean, I think Captain Kim was interesting because we were sort of debating like, oh, who's going to show up? And we didn't think Captain no. Kim would because he, they didn't he, interact he, there's a in lot with him. Way. Yeah, there's a lot with him this episode, but it, like, didn't seem to be happening in front of her. So it was kind of implied later that, like, maybe some of his upset at the fair, like, she actually did witness. That or, again, you know, who knows what's happening with the producers in the background, right? Like, you've got to give him this ultimatum or, I don't know. We sort of cut between her dancing with the various guys while she's dancing with Mr. Bukikio. That's when we get Mr. Hunter saying, like, I'm not that surprised. He's... Mm -hmm. He's pretty aggressive, mm-hmm. basically. Um, and we hear somebody saying, like, Danny B is going home. Yeah, a couple of the guys, and again, I think this is, to me, I just don't think that he has made as good an impression on them yes. um, as some of the other guys have. And so I think some of them were like, oh, this is this is it. Like, we've seen this coming. And some of them also were like, no love lost, like, yeah. if he goes, right, yeah. in, a, in a way that was very different, for instance, from Mr. King, right, or yes. some of the other men who have left. We then see her dancing with Captain Kim. And this is when he kind of tells her his feelings, which are, I think we were sort of saying, like, analogous to yes. what... Mr. Bakikio said. said, but but he frames them very differently. Mm-hmm. And he basically says, I just want to be real with you. That was really hard for me at the fair. To watch. To watch. Yeah. And like, I did get upset, but that wasn't your fault at all. Mm-hmm. That was me sort of, my wounds that I have sort of worked on reopening a little mm-hmm. bit. And, you know, like you helped me realize that you helped me feel again yeah. and want to be in love again. So like, I think that was all pretty... I think it was very well done. Like, again, to compare him and Mr. Prokikio, they start the same way of, like, I don't like seeing you with other guys. But Mr. Prokikio basically made that her problem. Mm -hmm. Whereas Captain Kim openly, right, is saying, this is not your fault. Like, this is me. Mm -hmm. I need to deal with this. But, like, he is acknowledging his feelings and, like, perhaps saying, like, maybe I, like you said, maybe she saw this. And he's like, this is why. He's like... But he wants her to know that it's important for her because it means that he is maybe ready to feel this again and he wants to do that with her. And then he says later in his one in his kind of one-on-one with the camera that like you have to have a reason why. And basically like, she is my reason why. Like he does want to keep doing this. And she seems very pleased with that response. Mm-hmm. But it's also like this is the most I've ever gotten from you. Like it shouldn't have taken until this moment to do that. And she wants to see more from him. Yeah. And he, oh my God. His face. It was like, it was, I had two moments of just pure joy, which was Mr. Cones being so excited after having that conversation with her and Captain Kim's face, which was just pure joy. He was so excited to get to stay, which again, felt very genuine in a not like, I get to stay on here way, which is, I feel sometimes a little bit smug when we see these emotions of like, yes, I get to be here, which is like Mr. Safa, like what we were getting from him. This felt very genuine. And there is an interesting moment sort of where he does ask her, like, how do you feel about me? I didn't love it, but... But I do think, like, I understood at that moment, it was sort of this this question of, should I still be here? Yes, yeah. pretty much. And she basically says, like, I want to see more from you. I want to see more yeah. from you. Like, do you still want to be here? And he's like, yes, I do. Yes, so. which is the, the, the you know, she repeats what Mr. Combs had asked him, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he says, I wouldn't be here, you know, still if, if I didn't want to do this. Which I think is a good answer. And, like, I also really enjoy 
when we get the subtitles this feels like this was something he said just for her yes that they had to give us and so like I like when we get those I'm like this is someone talking just to her and like we're eavesdropping on their conversation it feels less performative it feels more sincere when we Mm -hmm. get that oh I did also want to note that when Captain Kim like opens up about his feelings and stuff Mr. Cohen's comments from the balcony that takes balls yeah We get a lot from the balcony this yes. time. We get a lot of a like lot of reactions responses. and and whispering and God, it's I mean it is just the gossip balcony and I love it so much. Yes. <laughs> so next up we get Mr. Shanklin. Oh God. And she basically tells him like I appreciate you putting in the effort to like be more romantic. She's very diplomatic. Yes. But I feel like you came on too strong too fast. Mm-hmm. And this is when things just like go off the fucking rails it was so weird so he starts off by doing the whole like singing is like how i show that i care and if you keep me around you'll be glad you did and if you let me go tonight you're making a big mistake which once again the sister is immediately like i don't like that which is you know there was a big response from the family section when the first guy did that Mm -hmm. the first week it's not a not a good move and she she tells him mm-hmm. i don't like having my judgment question like yeah, that she's like screw you like this is my decision to make i get to decide if it's a mistake and you know she seems very confident in knowing what she wants mm-hmm. and then he kind of tries to walk it yes, back but it gets weirder <laughs> so he says um he's basically like of course i'll respect any decision yes. you make and i'll still love you regardless oh god and that moment that was when the balcony like erupted in what did he just say? Oh my God, did he just use the L word? And the the new guy, uh, Mr. Judge, was like, oh, what did he say? It was so funny. Bold move. Yeah. Like, really dramatically. Yeah, Mr. Mumbray was like, I'm confused. Yes, <laughs> oh, precious angel. And, and yeah, and you can see her family are all kind of like, they are shocked. So we get a commercial break on that, of course, because <laughs> so dramatic. Then it comes back and we come hear back. it again. We hear it again. Miss Remy's face is, is definitely surprised. Yes, she is surprised. She is, I mean, let's just say she doesn't look overjoyed. When she, and she has him close. She's like, you love me? Yeah, like, are you in love with yeah. me? And he's like, I'm falling for you. Which again, I'm falling he like in love with back you. a little bit. And she, I mean, she basically is like, I'm not going to get there. I'm not going to get there. I appreciate, you know, your passion or whatever, but like, I'm not going to get there. And he's like, that's fine. I'll still love you. I'm just like, Whoa. I'll watch from afar. Yeah, that was creepy. And then they hug and all the guys are like, oh. and, and yeah, the mom leans over to the dad and is like, I told you too much singing. Yeah. <laughs> And he, he leaves and his and his um kind of one on one right at the end, he uh makes it clear that like unlike some of the other guys who are like, you know, I had a really good time being here, um, I'm really sad to go. He's just like, you know, she's making a mistake, like I'm gonna find somebody someday who like loves my singing or whatever. He's like, My song wasn't hitting the notes for yes. her, oh, but one day it'll be someone's perfect tune. Yes. And so it just it was very contrived. It was like, yeah, this was a really good move. To what extent do you think he was on the show to like promote a oh, singing career? For sure. There yeah. was no because all this, that's all he was doing. Yeah. Like he wasn't making any effort. Honestly, I feel like he didn't even make an effort with the family. Like no one seemed to know anything about him. Yes. And they had no chemistry. I, I'm surprised None. he made it this far. I kept waiting for him to get kicked out. Yeah, I know. I mean she said something about it, like, oh, we have like a good friendship but now i'm wondering if that was even just something for just said. being nice yes. you know so then we get to her conversation with mr bikikio one of them says i want to know where we stand does she say that or does he say that i don't even remember so basically she is talking to mr bikikio 
He kisses her. Oh, and a guy in the balcony was not pleased by yes. that. It wasn't Mr. Hunter who's like, it's the farewell ball for yes. God's sake. Well, and he, right before that, he's like, he's always kissing her like every damn time. He's like, it's the farewell ball for God's sake. It's like, he's like, you're down there because she isn't sure about you. Stop trying to kiss her, yes. basically, which I really appreciated that scorn. <laughs> so I think she's the one, she says like, I want to know where we stand. And he tells her like, I am not ready to go home. I feel this. And and she, she talks a lot about sort of being like, oh, I'm trying to be empathetic with where you're coming Just, from. And I'm like, you don't need to do no, that. Don't take on the emotional labor. He needs to figure his shit out, which is like exactly what Captain Kim was saying. Is like he was owning, this is my problem. I'm yes. making you aware of it, but this is my issue to deal with. And Mr. Bakikio did not take that responsibility, which is why I'm so <laughs> I hate him. I really don't like him. Yes. And um, uh, the dad also apparently shares my sentiments. Yeah, so the parents are very skeptical of him. The the friends, the friend and the sister, they they like him. They're like, yeah, mm-hmm. Team Bukikio. And the dad especially is like, there's a difference between, you know, showing up on the dance floor and showing, and showing in, in real life. Yeah, and then know? we again, when we after them, the, the kind of in the moment is with the parents after him. Yeah. Repeating what they kind of were saying to him. The mom is like, who do you see, you know, 15, 20 years down the road when they've got a belly and like balding hair? Like, you need to know that this is someone that you can still like mm-hmm. love and have this this relationship with. And so I think that they, again, just did not like his answer and are maybe kind of getting something from him that the sister and the friend aren't seeing. Because again, like that Miss Rimey isn't seeing that is, is she is just feeling like this somehow this like very deep connection with yes. him i will say he did one cute thing which was when they were talking to each other and he's like they danced a little bit more and he's like i'm gonna dip you and spin you and he yes. like does sort of and do the this sister like, loved it yes. she was like yes mr Mikikio. so i so i think that's also going to be an interesting ongoing point of tension yes. perhaps because i don't think we've seen that kind of like we've seen her parents like people that she's not that into yes but this is the first time we've seen them sort of be like we are not sure feeling him so last up is mr castronovo oh so she does keep mr bikikio obviously um last up is mr castronovo pretty much she says hey i appreciate the effort but like i'm not feeling the butterflies he's he's gracious about it again it's very interesting because the the whole her whole court loves him so much so i don't know why but it's it's sweet like it (laughs) It is is. and like i could see them you know maybe their families will hang out sometime (laughs) yeah i mean like it makes me think a lot better of him than i think i otherwise would if i didn't know that you know i mean her mom tears up that he's leaving and she's even says to him when he goes over there she's like we are so like we are devastated that you're leaving we're devastated i mean before miss remy says that he's leaving miss cleary says i would be heartbroken if he goes and then he does say this very cute thing when the the mom's like yeah "Yeah, the parents are like oh we're gonna miss you and he's like i'll come to seattle and make you guys pizza yeah so it's just like it's just he i mean his main point of like why you should keep me around was like our families would get along really well and like clearly that was right yeah more friend material in this case because like he wasn't ever she's like i'm gonna give you those butterflies it's like fucking when dude like you're on the clock and you're like not doing anything but stating intentions there's no action and she seems to really want action yes and then we get his kind of in the moment as he's leaving and he says this what was the line do you well first he he doesn't say it yet he says that in the carriage he um, oh okay he i mean tears up which again i was like Man, like, me and misjudged him a little bit that, like, maybe he did want to be here. Because he also seemed like someone I was like, I actually don't know if he's into her, if he's just here mm-hmm. to be like, I'm a pizza owner, come to my, like, pizzeria. You know, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. But like, I was like, oh, like, maybe there were there were more connections made than I 
thought there were. And then he says, as either as they're getting into the carriage or as the carriage is leaving, he's like, someday I'm going to find someone where, like, my best is there perfect or something like that, which I just thought was a really beautiful line. And yeah. I was like, damn, where was all this poetry before? <laughs> and so that that was pretty much the end of the episode. We are down to nine suitors. Sure, I did not count them. <laughs> I think they said it was nine suitors. Yeah. And we're getting some hints for, like, next week that there's going to be more drama with Mr. Bokikio, that someone new is arriving in a carriage, some dude. Somebody no idea yes. what's happening. And I will just say I hope that we are getting more conversations like what was happening with Mr. Combs, which I thought just, just having her more openly, you know, make sure that, that these people are there for all of her, mm-hmm. right? And, and since that you know, came up with Mr. Safa and then was explicitly, even though it's like, it's not being addressed, like, exactly what happened with Mr. Safa, but, like, I think it's really interesting that this is coming up here and that I'm, like, hoping they keep having this dialogue and this conversation because she obviously deserves someone, right, who is going to recognize who she is as a full person, Mm -hmm. right, and recognize what their relationship is going to look like if this is someone who is a white man, right, or who is an Asian man. Like, what, what is this going to be for them? I don't know. I think it was really... Really interesting. So we'll see what happens. Yes. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Becky, thank you for joining. Thank you Um, for having me, even though it's just because Emma couldn't come. (laughs) Well, I think it was great. Great commentary. Do you want to let people know your, like, Twitter or website or anything like Um, that? Yeah. I mean, you can find me on Twitter at HicksonBecky, H-I-X-O-N-B-E-C-K-Y. I will say I mainly just retweet other people on there, but I'm there if you want to find me. That's fine. You know, if you want to contact her and be like, hey, come on my podcast to talk about <laughs> stuff, because I feel like she's a great podcast guest, you can find me at MJ Curran. That's M-J-K-E-R-A-N on Twitter. You can find Emma at Chingona Academic, which is C-H-I-N-G-O-N-A-C-A-D-E-M-I-C. I think so I did that so correct. i impressed by that. I can't spell anything. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a rating and review. And let other people know about it because we would love to get more listeners and we would love to hear from you guys if you have anything you want us to talk about more. Thank you for listening and we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. (laughs)